Welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom Podcast, where every mom can find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. You'll hear interviews with all kinds of moms who are learning how to navigate motherhood. Most of all, you'll learn that you have a partner in motherhood, a loving Heavenly Father who wants you to succeed and is always there to help you in your most important work as a mother. And now, here's your host, my mom, Darla Trendler. Welcome to Spiritually Minded Mom. This is Darla, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Our guest today is one of my good friends, Marilyn Nava. She's someone who I see as a very strong person. She is very strong physically, and I know that because we work out together. But she's also very strong spiritually, and I'm really excited to dive in and have you be able to hear her story of motherhood. And I know that there's a lot of things that you'll be able to glean from Marilyn's experiences. So welcome to the podcast, Marilyn. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. Okay, so to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about your family? Okay, so Robert and I have been married 26 years. We have four children, Heather, Jenica, Ashley, and Braun. Um, we've always been a very active family. Like the outdoorsy stuff is just what we like to do. We like to camp. We like to boat. We've always been hikers, just anything outdoors, we were always there. And my extended family, they're kind of the same way, so we've gone on lots of houseboat trips, just fun stuff outside. You guys are definitely a very fun family. <laughs> <laughs> always doing something. That's, we that's love awesome. adventure. <laughs> okay, so you've been a mom for a while, for quite a while. Um, how has motherhood been different than you expected it to be? Well, I guess... I always expected it to be kind of like what I saw my mom doing, which was baking and taking care of the house. It seemed easy. I know it probably wasn't, but from a child's perspective, looking at what she did all day, um, it looked like what I wanted to do. Not, not that it was easy, but just she was always home. She was always there. That's what I always wanted. So how has, has that your experience been different from your mom's? Well, um, I've had to work most of my time being a mom. I did have five or six years after I had Braun that I didn't work. But um, just our circumstances have been that I haven't been able to stay home like I thought I was going to be able to. So that is completely different. We did activities as children, but I don't know. I don't remember my mom and dad always like being there. And for us, I always wanted to be everywhere my kids were. So if they had games or, you know, things going on, I always wanted to be there. So that's completely different than the way that I was brought up. So motherhood hasn't been exactly what you expected. It wasn't, you know, what you saw your mom doing. But I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, times change. Everyone has different circumstances. I really, I really want to dive in to kind of the heart of your story and it's that you've lost two children both Jenica and and Ashley and it's been in sudden and tragic ways so will you first tell us a little bit about Ashley what she was like what you learned from her during her time here with you sure so Ashley was our third little girl she was always really really tiny but just full of life and spunky she was very very motherly at a very early age <laughs> after i had mom <laughs> she was just like this little mother hen she protected him she was always with him she she basically took care of him i mean those two were inseparable they played together 
um, all the time. But she was like that outside of our home as well. Um, at school, her teachers would tell me she was always the one that was out there giving her jacket to somebody who was cold or sitting by somebody who needed a friend. And no one had to tell her to do these things. They just came naturally to her. Oh, that's great. So she sounds like just such an amazing girl. Was. So at what age did did you lose her? She barely turned 12. So she turned 12 okay. in November and she died January 4th. Okay. Can you tell us about what happened when she died? Yeah. Um, so I had taken, it was actually on Christmas Day, I had taken, we had spent Christmas at home with Robert and my other kids. And then I had jumped on a plane. My family was all getting back together, kind of a little semi-reunion in California that week. And my parents were on a mission at the time for the church, and they got permission to come home. So I jumped on a plane with Bron and Ashley, and we took off for a week to go spend time with my family that all seven of us hadn't been together in a really long time. So we'd spent the week there, had an amazing, amazing vacation. It was really fun just getting together with everybody. And the night before we were getting ready to come home, Ashley told me that she had a headache. So her being 12 years old, I gave her a couple aspirin. I was like, fine, let's go rest. We'll just give you the aspirin and go to bed. So she went to bed, no problem. And in the middle of the night, she got up and she was just like, oh, my head hurts so bad. So we were at my sister's house. I just tromped downstairs, got her a couple more aspirin. And then um, I kind of just cuddled with her and let her in my bed. And we were just laying there. And she, she actually went back to sleep. So it was no big deal. And then in the morning, I thought, well, she's, she's resting peacefully. So Bron and I got up. We ran a couple of errands. And then we, when we got back to my sister's house, it was pretty much time that we needed to get ready so that we could catch our flight that afternoon. And when I went up to wake her up, I noticed she was in a fetal position and that her eyes were kind of rolled back in her head. She was still breathing, but she was not looking good at all. Um, I called my sister, well, from down upstairs, I was upstairs and I told my sister to call 911 and I brought Ashley downstairs in my arms um, my parents had come to say goodbye, so they were actually at my sister's house, and um, my dad was was there, and he was able to um, give her a blessing, but that blessing never said anything about her being okay. It really just said that the doctors would be able to figure out what was wrong, and almost instantaneously after he said amen, she quit breathing. And so at this point, were the paramedics there? Was they were not quite there. Just you. So my sister ran next door and her neighbor's son came in and he and I did CPR mm -hmm. until the paramedics arrived, which was not that long. It was just a few minutes. And they arrived and took her to this little hospital. My sister lives in a small town. And so the hospital, they really weren't equipped for anything like this. Uh, they were able to do a CT scan because I had mentioned that she said her head hurt. Mm -hmm. So they did a CT scan there and found that she had a very large tumor in her head. And, and you had no idea? Zero. There was 
no signs or symptoms other than her complaining that she had a headache. They started calling around to there's two different children's hospitals. There's one out at Stanford, and then there's another one um, near Fresno. And the one that was able to accommodate us was the one in Fresno. So they called in Life Flight, and at this point, they were still, um, they hadn't innovated her yet. They were somebody just breathing for her with a bag. Mm-hmm. She wasn't able to breathe on her own. When the paramedics for the flight came, they intubated her and put her on a helicopter and were flying her straight there. They didn't let me on the helicopter because there wasn't enough room. There was like four of them, and the helicopters aren't really that large. So they flew her out to Children's Hospital, and I had a a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Oh, wow. Which um, was probably the longest two-and-a-half-hour drive I've ever had. I'm sure. I, I am sure. Were you getting any updates while you were driving? No, which was probably a good thing. Right. Um, but when we got there, there was the security right at the um, right at the door entrance of the hospital. They were they were ready for us to get there, mm-hmm. and they they took us directly into a small room. So that's not really a good sign. Yeah. Um, and Robert wasn't with me, so my mom was with me. And they sat us down in the room and they told us things weren't good, that she had coded another four times on the flight over there and that they had her own life support. But if she coded again, they weren't going to try drastic measures. The neurosurgeon was able to look at her and look at the CTs and did all of the brainwave tests and everything. And they determined that she was already brain dead. So you're sitting there in the hospital getting this news. Um, what what was your reaction? Total shock. My mom was kind of freaking out and I, I was trying to keep it together for her. That's just kind of been my role. Mm-hmm. It's always to be the strong one. Um, so she started calling family members. So my family members started, you know, driving out to Fresno and we had to get a hold of Robert who was here in Arizona. I didn't tell him what was wrong. All I told him was that there was a problem with Ashley and he needed to get here as soon as possible. So he actually drove out with Jenica because she was still at home. Um, They drove out and it took him about nine hours to get there. And so he's driving and just knows that there's something really big going on. Right. But not really knowing the severity of it. or No, I didn't want to freak him out. Yeah, I can understand that. So it sounds like, it sounds like a, lot, a, lot of, a lot was going on. And what kind of tender mercies did you see? I mean, were there circumstances that you felt like, even though this is the most tragic thing that you're ever going to go through, you know, such a, such a, just such a hard thing, were there any signs around you that, you knew God was watching out for you and that he was there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was praying the whole time that Robert would be able to see her alive. Uh-huh. And did he get there before she passed? He did. Um, That's he a got great there and was able to, um, they did the, the same thing. As soon as he got there, we all went into the little room and the doctors explained to him exactly what was going on and pretty much gave us the option to take her off life support or try to stay on, but they were pretty pretty sure that she was going to code again. I mean, everything was failing. Mm-hmm. 
the the IVs that they were putting in, like all of her body functions were stopping. Her kidneys were to stop. Everything was completely stopping. Her body was shutting down. So we um, decided he went. He obviously wanted to go in, and as soon as he saw her, he's like, "Oh, she's she's miserable. This isn't her. She had tubes and wires yeah. just everywhere. It was just not pleasant to look at." And so we decided pretty quickly after he got there to take her off life support to just get all the tubes off of her and just spend time with her. Right. So uh, what was that process like? Did you have your your other children there with you? Yeah, the only one that wasn't there was Heather. So she was still here in Arizona. But most of my other family members, most of my brothers and sisters, I think all of them came out and lots of nieces and nephews. I mean, everybody was there. And I'm surprised because there was probably like 30 of us in this little room. And usually in ICU, they don't let you all in, which was really nice because everybody got to say goodbye. That is good. Yes, for sure. And I think I think it's kind of a tender mercy. I mean, from my point of view, looking in that you were with all your family. They were all oh, there. Yeah. And that, that wasn't something that was typical. I mean, I, I really think that's a tender mercy because had it happened here in Arizona, none of my family would have been with me. It would right. have been me. Yeah, just been you and your little family. And um, I'm sure that what a great, great blessing that you had all that strength around you and that support. Absolutely. From from your extended family. Okay, so you took her off of life support. Mm -hmm. And then and how long was it before she actually did pass away after that? How long did you have with her? Um, She passed. I mean, there was no, no breath after we took her off. So it's not like what you see in the movies, Uh uh, where some people linger for a second. She was just done. As soon as we yeah. turned it off, there was, there's no brainwave, no, there was nothing. So we just had a sweet time with her. We got to hold her, comb her hair. I mean, just the poor little thing had been through yeah. a nightmare. So her hair was all messy and, you know. So you, so you went through this, just such a sudden, you know, you had no time to prepare for it. Um, but, but looking back, do you, do you see any ways that God did prepare you? for the loss of Ashley? Absolutely. Well, first of all, my nephew passed away about seven years before Ashley did, the same sister whose house I was at. Uh Um, And I was really touched by that. I mean, losing him was so devastating to me. And I almost feel like that was the precursor. Like, I felt those emotions and everything before. So it wasn't... I mean, it was bad, let me tell you, but it wasn't as hard. Like, I'd already gone through some of those motions before having to deal with my nephew. And then the other thing that, I mean, there's so many miracles that happen. About a year, year and a half before Ashley passed, I kept having these feelings like, you need to get insurance. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. Robert's going to die. I need to have, I need, we need to be insured more than we are. Mm-hmm. So I had Robert up all of our pre, you know, amounts like on himself, on myself. And then we actually put insurance on all four of our kids, which normally you don't that's, do. Yeah. I mean, that's not really a typical just thing. Don't think about needing life insurance for your children. So right. we've done that about a year and a half before Ashley passed away. Wow. So yeah, we were we were totally covered as far as like expenses and whatnot afterwards. And that really was a blessing in disguise. Just listening to those prompting promptings, you know, I kept having them. Like, we need to do this, we need to do this. And 
we did. Yeah. We just followed him. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that he pre- he did prepare you and and he was there for you. Although, I mean, I won't even pretend to think that I know what that would be like. You know, the at the aftermath of all that, the grief, the missing her and and having to come back home and she's not with you. I I can't imagine what that would have been like. But it sounds like he was there for you. Absolutely. So, let's let's talk a little bit about Jenica now. What was the best thing about being Jenica's mom? Oh my gosh. She was so full of life and just the funnest kid. She had a giggle that was so contagious, and she was just funny. Um, she loved to laugh. She was a little jokester. She just loved to make people laugh all the time. That's what I miss about her the most, uh-huh. just her fun personality. So so the circumstances of losing, of losing Jenica were diff- a lot different than when you lost Ashley Uh because Jenica went missing. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And if there was anything about losing Ashley that kind of helped you when Jenica went missing and, and that whole, you know, story and everything that went along with that. Sure. So the story that went with it, it's about a couple of days before Ashley's, we call it her like angel anniversary before the date that she had died. And we always got to how many years had it been since you had it was Ashley? going on three so this okay. would have been her third the third year okay so um we always got together we always let off balloons we would write messages on these balloons to ashley and let them off and it was just kind of turning into our our tradition right to do in january so i had talked to jenica and the day before, and we'd all made arrangements. We were going to meet at my house on Sunday. We were going to, you know, do our balloons, let them go. Everything was set. So Sunday rolls around. She didn't live at home by the, by this time. So she's 20 years old. She lives in an apartment. Right. You know, she's doing the, the young adult thing. <laughs> she's being an adult. <laughs> she is. And so um, on Sunday when she didn't arrive, I was kind of like, that's not like her. What's going on? Uh, tried to call her, but there was no answer, you know, just there was something off about her not being there. Cause that, that just wasn't like her at all. Uh, and we talked every day. So that was on a Sunday, Monday, her friends started calling me asking me if I had heard from her. And that's really weird. Her friends mm-hmm. never did that. I was usually the one that was like, Hey, have you seen Jenica? What's, what's going on? Right. Where is she? You know, that kind of thing. So that was kind of a, a weird situation as well. So it'd been about two days and then her friend Sam called and he's like, I just want to tell you, I, I think something's really wrong. And he kind of explained the situation of what had happened that Saturday night. And she'd been with friends and she left with a guy that I guess was, she, kn- they all knew him, but he wasn't like a friend friend. He was an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, It just wasn't like something normal for her to do. And none of them had seen or heard from her since. So that kind of, you know, caught our attention. At that point, we called the police. We, um, you know, filed a police report. The whole time, um, they didn't really take us serious. They were like, she's 20. She can go away if she wants to. There's no law saying that she has to tell you where she's gone. So what's going through your mind at this time? Like, I mean, do you really think she's missing? Do you think there's been foul play? That some, you know, what were you thinking at that point? Um, I, 
I will tell you after her friend Sam called me, I knew there was something very, very mm-hmm. wrong. And I just had this gut feeling that she was gone. Right so from the beginning. I kind of always known from the beginning that there was foul play involved. Just because Jenica is was on social media every single day, she didn't go a day or so with you know without talking mm-hmm. to one of us. There was just too many things that said she was gone. So you filed the police report, and then what did the police do at that point? Nothing, and that was the most frustrating time of my life. We had actually filed the police report in Phoenix because we were told that that was the last place that she was seen Mm -hmm. was we gave them names and phone numbers to all these friends that she had been with that day. One of them, the guy that she left with stated that he dropped her off at her apartment that night in Mesa. So now I've got Phoenix police and Mesa police fighting over whose case this really is. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them wanted it. Um, They were telling us that missing persons is like the highest we have the highest crime rate in Phoenix for missing persons. Neither one of them wanted to do it. So it was really, really frustrating. And about 26 days afterwards, it finally got settled that Mesa was going to take it. So that's oh, a long time. That's, that's heartbreaking. 26 days? So no, wow. no media, nothing about her missing was ever, like we just didn't get anything from anyone. And finally, on like the 26th, 28th day, Mesa took it and there was a little tiny, like two inch blurb in the Tribune, which isn't even the most popular newspaper. That's all we got. So we got no news time, nothing, Mm -hmm. this little tiny blurb that said, you know, Jenica has been missing, blah, blah, blah. So that was really, really frustrating. Yeah, I can't imagine. And so, so the circumstances, you know, with Ashley, like you knew she was gone and you started the grieving process and but here you are with Jenica and you don't you you really think that she's gone but you don't know for sure and there's all these unknowns and you're not getting cooperation from the police. How long how long was it from the time that she went missing until they actually found her? Um it was 5 years and 3 months. So how did you get through that? Really I had to rely on my personal relationship with God, I mean, there's no way to go through these things without hope, without Him. Like, I had to just physically give Him those burdens and not have to deal with it. I mean, I was dealing with it, but in a completely different way. Well, you you just talked before. I mean, I'm sure that everyone's kind of getting the sense. You're kind of the rock for everyone around you. You always you always have been. And and um, so, so how did you support the people around you during that time? You know, you're trying to have hope and you're dealing with your own things as a mother. How did you help your husband, your children, you know, other family members, your, your friends, her friends? How did you help everyone else around you? Well, we started a Facebook page, which was really helpful because I was getting really tired of trying to give the same story to so many people. I mean, there's literally right. four or 500 people on the Facebook page. And to give information to everybody all the time was just like, ugh, you just didn't even want another phone call. So basically, we set that up so that we could like put out, you know, we're going to be searching because we actually as a family went out searching all the time. We, mm-hmm. we knew she was by water. We knew, you know, that she was in the desert. We just didn't know exactly, you know, pinpointing where, but it felt like we were doing something since the police weren't. It yeah. gave us that like avenue to direct 
us to go do stuff. So we would put things like that. We would put things like that, you know, and, and certain people would show up and it was great. You know, we'd have friends or, mm-hmm. or um, you know, just different people that would show up. And it was really nice to have some support from the community as well. You know, going out right. there and looking in the desert isn't fun, especially when you're looking for remains, not a person. Right. Yeah, that I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. So this went on for five years. Can you tell I us did. about what what happened? Tell us about the day you found out what really happened to Jenica. Um, so I was driving home from work. And what's really funny is there was a personalized license plate in front of me on that particular day. And it said, um, Jen, just J-E-N. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, oh, that's a little sign. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for signs. I'm like, oh, yeah. saying hello. So I go home and then I have two sheriffs that come up to my door and ring the bell and ask if they can come in. And I already knew, I already knew what they were going to say. Um, How did you know? I just felt it in my heart. I just yeah. knew they were going to tell me that she had been found. And so they sat me down. And I was the only one at home. So they went ahead and and told me that her remains had been found three days earlier, but they wanted to confirm with dental records and whatever Mm -hmm. to make sure that this was her. So you had no idea that they had found anything until that point? No. The police hadn't communicated that with you? No. No, not at all. Um, I was in communication with Mesa police probably once or twice a month just see what was going on with the case. And it's always the same Mm -hmm. thing. There's nothing going on. It's a cold case, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. So at this point, um, because of where she was found, it's now out of Mesa police's hands and into the Maricopa County Sheriff's. So they're the ones who are dealing with the homicide case. Did you, did you feel any tender mercies at that point? I mean, you finally, you finally knew what you, you already knew it in your heart, but now you had evidence and proof that that it was true. Did you have any tender mercies from from God to help you through that? Oh, absolutely. Just her location alone and the circumstances that she was found was a t- tender mercy in itself. She was located in a very dis- you know discreet place. You had to hike in mm-hmm. off of a main trail pretty far. I can't go into detail because it's an right. open homicide, but just her being found is a miracle in itself. Do they know who did it? Do they have a suspect? I mean, they always have thought it was this person that she left with, but because mm-hmm. of it being five years and gone through heat cycles and cold cycles for five mm-hmm. years, there wasn't any hard evidence with her remains. So at this point in time, it's still an open homicide case. They don't have enough evidence to charge anybody with anything. So how do, how does how do you get through that? I mean, sure that you want justice for Jenica. Absolutely. And how do you how do you get through that 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 no one's been brought to justice for for what they did to her? You know, that's something that we have to deal with on like a daily basis. I'm sure. But in going through this, my main thing when I was praying, I prayed that she was going to be found. Mm-hmm. And for me, my my prayers have been answered. So you know, you kind of have to balance what's more important the justice or having her remains right to me it was yeah i want justice for jenica don't get me wrong but for the time and i just wanted to know for sure what had happened to her right and i know and that and that's what you had been praying for 
for mm-hmm. five years. Yep, that she was going to, that we would have, you know, the evidence, that we would have her, that she would be able to be buried in a proper place, all of that. I didn't want her stuck out in the desert. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. And I know that you were able to bury her next to Ashley. That Ashley they're together. in the same plot. Yeah. Same plot. That's such a, a blessing that you were able to to find her and and to get through that really difficult time. So I'm sure that most of the moms listening to this podcast are probably never going to go through what you've gone through. I hope they don't. <laughs> and I'm sure you hope they don't and, and not in the same way. But we all we all have issues that we that we go through. So if there was a mom listening to this podcast and they're grieving for something to do with their child, whether it's a child that's passed away or someone who's, you know, left the family, distanced themselves or made choices that they don't agree with or, or, you know, anything else. If there's a mom that's grieving for their child, what would you say to them to get through that? What would be your advice? You know, um, listen to God. He definitely gives you answers. I think prayer has been my my mainstay. If I didn't have prayer and didn't have those, um, and listen, you have to learn to listen. Yeah. Um, that is the biggest thing is I've learned to be quiet and to shut my, that monkey mind down and listen to the spirit and listen to God, what he has to say, because he'll, he'll tell you and just being open and loving them no matter what, no matter what they've done, no matter what their decisions are, just love them. I, I think you can, love is usually the answer for most things, right? It really is. And I've also heard you say um, that happiness is a choice. So oh, what, is, what does choosing happiness look like to you? I mean, despite all the tragedy and the grief and the trials that motherhood has brought for you, how do you choose happiness? You know, I had a really hard time after Ashley died. I didn't think it was okay to, to be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was supposed to be this grieving, sad person, but I couldn't do it. I don't, I know that sounds kind of funny, but it's just not in my nature to be mourning and sad all the time. And it took a little while and a little convincing and telling myself, this is okay. She would want you to laugh. She would want you to be funny. She would want you to have a good time. Like, it wasn't my destiny to be this sad old woman. Right. And I... I seriously have to give myself time to grieve. If you, you know, if you feel like grieving, then grieve. It's okay. You can be sad, but you can't be sad all the time. That's not what I wanted. For me, I needed to give myself permission to grieve and cry. And I'll be honest, I can cry every day and it's okay. It's those couple minutes you just got to say, I love you, I miss you, but know that they're okay. And I think that's another thing is I know they're fine, that they're doing what they need to do. And I need to be here for my family. I need to be here for my other children and grandchildren. And so I need to be present and not stuck in the past. I need to be here now. And that's a choice. And I choose to be happy. I choose to look past all these horrible things that have happened and be okay. Because I know you personally, I've seen how you have strengthened other people around you. I remember a time when you were newly called as president of our women's organization in our church congregation. Mm -hmm. And you had just been called to that. and And a close friend of ours 
lost their four-year-old son. And I remember being at her house on the day after it happened and seeing you walk in the door and just feeling like this is all how it's meant to be because nobody understands more what our friend was going through than you did. Right. And you were you were there for her. And I one of the scriptures that I kept thinking about when I was preparing to interview you was in Isaiah 61. And there's there's a phrase in that in that in that chapter that says beauty for ashes and it just talks about how the savior can take the hard things and and the difficult things and the horrible things that we have to go through in our lives and he can create beauty out of that what does that scripture mean to you and and how have you seen or felt god you know helping you through those difficult things and turning them into something positive well the things that happened are horrible they really truly mm-hmm. are but it's the blessings that he promises us um, so those are horrible events, but look at how you can serve others. Right. Look at how you can mentor or be there for somebody who maybe is having a hard time. And they don't have to go through the same situation, but just having a hard time, they can they can right. glean from your strength or from your um, your hope or the peace that you can bring to them. So for me, it's just the blessings that he will give us if we, you know, choose to follow him and choose his ways over our own. Yeah, that's the key is just trusting him, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen you do that. And you're, you've been a great, a great strength to me. And I, I'm, I know that you're sharing your story is going to help help someone else out there. Um, the final question that I like to ask every guest that I have on the podcast is how have you felt God partnering with you in motherhood? Well, he's definitely helped me have incredible relationships with my children. I think I'm very in tune with their needs. I think he is always there to help me and answer my prayers if I listen. He's helped me learn patience and just to be a good listening ear. I think our kids need to be able to come to us and we have to, you know, give up some of our little things that we like to do so that we're there. Mm We're there for our kids. And so I think he's taught me a lot of things through these experiences to just love them and honor them and cherish the time that we have with them. Yeah, no one knows better than you that you don't know when that could when that could be gone for a no, season. Don't, <laughs> don't let the little things be big things. Let them go. Right, right. That's a, that's such an important lesson for all of us. And Marilyn, thank you so much. I know this isn't an easy thing to share to share your story, but I know I know it will help other people. And and I'm just so grateful that you would let me be a part of it to help you share that. So thank well, you. Thank you. I know you have a million things to do, and I'm grateful you took the time to listen to today's podcast. I hope the episode helped you to know God is your partner in motherhood. For show notes, head over to spirituallymindedmom.com. For more motherhood inspiration, follow along on Instagram, at spirituallymindedmom. And if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with a friend. I would love it if you would leave a review and rate it on iTunes. This helps more moms to find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. Have an amazing day, and remember, you are doing God's work, and you are doing it wonderfully well.